Glory to God. Thank you, Father, that you've stretched forth your hand towards us to, to reach out for us, to grasp us for the purpose of serving us with your life. I just thank you, Father, that it can be your everlasting kindness can be re revealed today, that we can see the, the everlasting kindness that's in your heart, and that we can call that everlasting kindness down here in our midst, and that we can know that there's no shadow of turning in you, that there's no variableness, that only good and perfect goods dwell in you, that you can only work life, that you can only ever be trying to bring forth life in us. Thank you, Father, that you're set apart unto us having life by your doing. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Glory to God. I don't know if you guys realize it, and it's not to say maybe I, I won't be involved in a different kind of a Bible college one day, but this is like Bible college for me. And I thank God that you guys let me get this stuff off my chest. And, and if I'm being honest, I think that that the reason God's allowed you to love me is because I think a lot of the things we say in this church and in the Bible studies and that other people preach here, I think that it's going to be heavily involved in um, what's gotten crooked in this church being made straight in the future. And it may not be in my lifetime, but I thank God for you guys um, coming alongside and, and letting me uh, teach the scriptures and, and get into these things. It's a great blessing to me. And so this is like the Bible college. Right. And you've you've effectively been through a Bible college. If you've been walking with us here, you, you've effectively, if we want to use worldly language, I mean, you got a Ph.D. In, in the scriptures because we we don't just go gloss over things. We get down into the depth of what these things mean. We, we, we carefully consider we thoughtfully consider some difficult things. And I thank God for you guys that that we get to do that here. And, and if you're a minister out there. And you, man, if you think you see something that's the truth, don't be afraid to uh, go into things that sound contradictory to what you think is the truth. But rather get with God so that you can explain the things that look contradictory. I, I, it really bothers me when ministers are dishonest with what they present, where they, they pretend like there aren't things there that contradict what they say. And they don't grab the things that sound like they're a contradiction and then teach how they're not. And I think people would be better served if we as ministers did that, right? Where we didn't shy away from things that sounded contradictory, but we come and explain what they actually are and what they actually look like, right? That, that would be a, a whole better deal. Um, and, and for ministers out there, people may turn you off if you, if you try to pretend like there aren't glaring uh, issues that would seemingly contradict what you say, right? Um, today we're going to take uh, pretty much everything we say um, from, from Romans chapter 4. And we'll, we'll just take a little, a little section there, but we'll look at Romans chapter 4, verse 13. We'll start there. It says, For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void, and the promise made of none effect. Because the law works wrath. For where no law is, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Now, there's a whole lot I could say about all of that, but what I want to do is I want to focus in, I want to focus our attention on verse 15. And we're going to build out from verse 15, right? And verse 15 says, because the law works wrath. Y'all scared? You scared, bro? <laughs> I'm just joking. You guys forgive me. Because the law works wrath. For where no law is, there is no transgression. Okay? Now, listen. Paul doesn't just begin talking about this concept or this truth right there in chapter 4. He talks about it in chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, right? And he begins talking about it when he says the wrath of God has been revealed from heaven. And if you hadn't pieced it together yet, what we're going to do is we're going to piece all the things he says through those seven chapters, and we're going to show what they're all saying. But if you hadn't pieced it together yet, when Paul says the wrath of God was revealed from heaven, and you piece that together with this verse, 
He's talking about the giving of the law. He's talking about when God gave the law. That was the wrath of God being revealed from heaven. He, he says right here, the law works wrath. Well, if the wrath of God was revealed from heaven, and he says here, the law works wrath, then what that means is the wrath of God was revealed from heaven through the law. That's what it means. And he goes on to say that it was revealed from heaven against the idea that man could find life by worshiping the works of their own hands. That's why he goes on to talk about the creature worshiping themselves instead of the creator. So the wrath of God was revealed from heaven, and what that means is, is God issued a decree through the law that rejected the idea that mankind could inherit life through the works of their own hands. That's what it means. He goes on to say, we know that's the truth, that God has rejected the idea that mankind could have life through worshiping the works of their own hands. We know that's the truth because every time someone refuses to be persuaded of that truth and they continue to try to give themselves life by the works of their own hands, we see the fruit of death manifest out of them. And it testifies that it's the truth. Otherwise, you'd see the fruit of life coming out of them instead of the fruit of death. He goes on to say that should a person reject what God has revealed from heaven through the law, that man can't find life by the works of their own hands, should a person reject that, the fruit of death will come out of them. That's when he runs through all that bad fruit, remember? He even goes on to say one of the ways he describes it is inhumane. Unhuman-like is what will happen to you. You become marked with the beast. And you begin finding yourself living as a beast. Meaning, overcome by lust. My little dogs are overcome by lust. They don't even know what they're doing. I promise you, like someone drives around the circle and they just see lights. They could be on the other side of the house and they catch a glimmer of the light. I mean, they're sliding on the wood floor and they're hauling butt to the window to stand up in the window and they just start screaming. Listen, I promise you, they didn't calculate on some whiteboard about whether or not they were going to do that. Or whether or not anything was really there. They were living like a beast. And they were overcome with lust. And so that's what Romans 1 is building on. So when it says the, the, that the wrath of God was revealed from heaven, this will start changing your whole theology. Talking about the giving of the law. It's talking about the giving of the law by God from heaven so God could begin telling us to tell us that we can't find life by the works of our own hands, that we can't inherit life by the works of our own hands. That's what he's talking about. Okay? So we're going to focus in on, on that verse. And what it says, and, and essentially, if you want to look at that whole little section of what Paul says in, in chapter 4 there, what he's saying is that the law was not given for the purpose of us inheriting life by performing the works of the law. That's not why the law was given. And in fact, based on what I just said, Paul's saying it was given for exactly the opposite reason. It was given to work wrath. It was given to reveal to mankind from heaven that trying to inherit the promise of life through your own works or through the works of your hands, it's transgression. The law was actually given to give us the knowledge of what transgression is. And it was actually given to give us the knowledge that trying to inherit life by the works of our own hands, trying to do like Adam did when he tried to clothe upon himself with life in the garden, trying to do that, that is transgression. That's why the law was given, to reveal to us those things. Now, if you read the second part of verse 15, it can sound a bit obscure, right? If you, read the, if, if you don't consider the context of what he says in the second part of verse 15, where Paul says, for where no law is, there is no transgression. If you just pluck that out right there, hey, you could come up with a whole lot of thoughts about what that means. But if you don't consider it in light of chapter 1, Chapter 2, chapter 3, 
chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, you're never going to come out with what he's actually talking about. Because he continues to build on this thought throughout seven chapters. And so if you don't grab the things he says in the other chapters, what he says there can sound obscure to you. And you could think, what does that mean? I mean, what does it mean? Because the law works wrath for where no law is, there is no transgression. Well, I'm glad that you asked because I'm going to piece together some of the things that Paul says in chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7. This is chapter 4. We covered chapter 1. Did you see how we just bridged the gap between those two thoughts? As human beings, we struggle to see the scriptures laid out in one picture. We pluck here, then we get to chapter 4. We completely forget that he said that the wrath of God was revealed from heaven. And we never connect that with what he now says about how the law works wrath. But Paul just said, in chapter 3, that by the law is the knowledge of sin. By the law is the knowledge of sin. Now listen, guys, we've come a long way where we don't think by the law is the knowledge that you've been bad or that you've done bad things. That's not what he's saying when he says by the law is the knowledge of sin. Sin is a noun there, not a verb. It's talking about a thing. By the law is the knowledge of sin. And so if you read in, in Romans, sin was in the world and death reigned from Adam to Moses, it says. Sin was in the world and death reigned from Adam to Moses. But the knowledge of sin and how it was working death in people, that came through the law. That's what it means that God revealed from heaven his wrath. He came and gave us the knowledge of sin and how it was working death in us. Because people were dying all day long. People were dying nonstop. There was a way that seemed right unto man. They were busy working the way that seemed right. If you're naked, you think the right way is to clothe yourself. But that way was all the time killing man. And so we're all the time perishing, all the time trying to clothe ourselves with life, all the time worshiping the works of our own hands. That's marking us with the beast. That's leaving us lusting after life through the strength of the flesh. And so we're all the time dying. Well, God saw why we were dying. And so he gave the law so we could have knowledge of what sin is and what it's doing to us. That's what he says in Romans chapter 3. Paul says in Romans 7, I would not have known sin. Again, noun. I would have known sin, except the law said, thou shalt not covet. Now, Adam was filled with covetousness in the garden. That's why he started trying to clothe himself. That's covetousness. You see what he was coveting? Life. He was coveting life and to be clothed upon with life. Right? But he wasn't mixing his desire for life with the faith that God would serve him with life. And so lust was conceived in his heart. And so when Adam ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and when Adam tried to clothe himself, he was lusting after life through the strength of the flesh. What Paul comes and says in Romans 7, when he says he would not have known sin except the law said thou shalt not covet, Paul is saying, I would not have known it was sin to try to clothe upon myself with the fruit of God's life unless the law revealed it to me. I would not have known that trying to clothe myself in the fruit of God's life was working death in me unless the law revealed it to me. I wouldn't have known that me trying to produce the good fruit of God by working the strength in my own hand was actually working death in me unless the law had come and said, thou shalt not lust after God's life through the strength of the flesh. You see what he's saying there? You guys wonder why I rail against people that want to say the law is the enemy? <laughs> that the law is enmity against man? There's a reason why. There's a reason why I say this all the time. Paul goes on to say in Romans 7, he, he says in Romans 7, that the law was given to reveal that sin is exceedingly sinful. Again, sin's a noun. 
He's not talking about the law was given to reveal to you that stealing some gum from the store is exceedingly sinful. That's not what he's saying. Now, I'm not telling you to go steal gum from the store. But when we think that's what he's talking about, we're reading that word sin as if it's a verb and it's a noun. And so Paul says the law was given to reveal that sin was exceedingly sinful, meaning the law was given to show mankind that looking to the works of their hands to try to inherit life was causing them to fall short of the glorification of their bodies. Because man was trying to clothe upon themselves with the fruit of God's life, instead of looking to the strength in God's hand to clothe them with life, that was causing them to fall short of the glorification of their bodies. The law revealed that trying to clothe yourself with life was leaving you naked. But naked. You see the same thing in Exodus 20. When Moses says to the Israelites, right after he got the, the law, fear not, God has given you this law to prove you that your fear, your trust might be before him and not before your own works. And you do not sin, which is the noun, miss the mark. What mark? The glorification of your body. Paul says, I would have never known that trying to clothe myself with that which is good was actually causing me to fall short of the glorification of my body. I would have never known that that was working death in me, except the law come to me and revealed it to me, except God revealed from heaven the law of sin and death through the law written on the tablets of testimony. I would have never known. Thank you guys for sticking with me. This is one of those things you want to go back and listen to a lot. We're going to develop a lot of thoughts. We're going to pull it all together like a symphony, right? We'll be over here with like the saxophones. Then we'll be over here with like the flutes. Then we'll be over here with the trumpets. And by the end of it all, we're going to be one, one, Paul says in Romans 5 that even though sin was in the world, serving people with death, sin was not imputed until the law. Guys, we really ought to ask ourselves, what is the Apostle Paul trying to say? I promise you this guy knew what he was talking about. And I promise you what he saw manifested a whole lot of life in him. And so we ought to wrestle with what, are the, what is this guy trying to say? We, we, we see the word wrath and we just say, it's about God being angry, that's it. That's not what Paul was thinking when he talked about this. He was not thinking about an angry God. He was thinking about a God who was filled with everlasting kindness towards mankind. He was thinking about a God that wanted to gather mankind to himself so that he could serve them with life. That's what he was thinking about when he said the law worketh wrath. Paul says in Romans 5 that even though sin was in the world, serving people with death, sin was not imputed until the law. Listen, guys, the imputation of sin, I know how these words sound in our English language. And I know that I'm going to cause you cognitive dissonance. Oh, hallelujah. Because the, the way God thinks of things, when it bounces up against the way the world thinks of things, there's cognitive dissonance. The imputation of sin is not God keeping a record of the wrongs you committed. That's not what it is. Well, you might think, well, how do you come to that conclusion? Well, I'll tell you how I come to that conclusion. 1 Corinthians 13 says that love keeps no record of the wrongs committed against it. Well, 1 John says God is love. The two together. God doesn't keep a record of the wrongs committed against him. So the imputation of sin, you, you see what I'm saying? We get so busy with our own thoughts that we're missing the power of what this is saying. And I promise you, it's powerful what it's actually saying. And the devil just wants us to be distracted with what it's not saying. He wants to get us to use our sin-stained conscience to define these concepts and these truths so that we never are animated with the power of what's actually being said here. The imputation of sin is God revealing from heaven the law of sin and death. It's him revealing what it is. It's God revealing through the law what sin is 
and how it works death in mankind. And in fact, when Paul gets to Romans 7, he says, I see the fruit of God's life is good. I agree that it's good. But the more that I try to produce that which I say is good, the more that I don't find I produce that which I say is good, but rather I, I find myself producing the fruit of death. Paul's saying the law revealed that to him. That's why he says the law of sin and death. That's why he calls it the law of sin and death. What is the law of sin and death? The law and sin of death, the word law means teaching and instruction. The law of sin and death is the teaching that was revealed from heaven that teaches us that trying to clothe upon yourself with the fruit of God's life will not only leave you not clothed, but will leave you clothed in the body of death. That's why he says, who shall save me from this body of death? That's why he goes on to talk about the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. The teaching of how God has drawn near to us to clothe us with the life we long for in the man Christ Jesus. You see, we're longing for life. And we're thinking the good and the right way is to clothe ourselves with life. Well, that's leaving us dying. And we don't know why. Well, God gave us the law from heaven to reveal to us how sin was working death in us by causing us to lust after that which was good. That's why we get so confused. Because we judge whether it's good what we're doing by the end result. The ends justify the means to us. And so we say the end is good. The end is we want the fruit of life. Therefore, all the in-betweens must also be good. And we didn't see that we were mixing our desire for good with that which could never produce what was good. And so that was leaving us clothed in death. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall save me? And so Paul's saying God gave the law to reveal that to mankind. That's the imputation of sin. It's God showing us what sin is and what it's doing to us and how it gets it right to do it to us. And I promise you, when you begin to understand how these things work, a, a, a powerful amount of liberty starts working in you. Because you're no longer ignorant to the devices of the serpent. You're no longer ignorant to how he comes talking to you. You're no longer ignorant of what he points to. You're no longer ignorant of how he tries to manipulate your desire for good. You're no longer ignorant to the fact that you have eternity in your hearts and you know he comes and points at the death in your life to try to get you to lust after what's good through your own strength. Does this make any sense? The knowledge of sin. Remember, Paul said, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. You see, under my penal substitution days, where penal substitution doesn't mean that there did need to be a substitute. Penal substitution is the idea that God was so angry with man, he had to beat on Jesus. See, my penal substitution days, I would have thought by the knowledge of sin means by the knowledge that I'm a disgusting worm that i'm just an evil rotten hole of hell to the core that's how i used to think of that the law by the knowledge of sin the knowledge of sin that's what i thought the knowledge that i'm just a dirty disgusting filthy sinner that's not the knowledge of sin that's not how a father talks to a son that's not how a shepherd treats a lost sheep That's the carnal mind trying to interpret spiritual things. But the law isn't carnal, it's spiritual. And if you try to interpret the law through the carnal mind, you'll come out with a whole lot of carnality. Because it's spiritual. That means it's declaring a truth. It's declaring a truth about the way that is not unto life and the way that is unto life. So the knowledge of sin, I'm going to try and slow down for this so people can pick up on this since this is like Bible college and not evangelism 101. I can't help but want to evangelize these truths because I get so fired up about people having life. There's a bone burning in my bones for people to have life. And I realize that burning is from God and that He burns. There's, there's the zeal of the Lord. There's a zeal in God to bring forth life and for people to have life, like a burning. Like He, he cannot repent from it. It's relentless. I remember when my little brother came to Colorado to hang out with me. Well, I'd been there for years. Well, you know, I lived at like 5,500 feet. And this guy had been living below sea level. And so he comes, and I'm, I'm stupid at this point, right? Like I'm just young and, and dumb. He comes, he says he wants to do a hike. Well, I've been training in the mountains. 
to be in the Olympics. And so I got like serious cardiovascular capacity. He's like, hey, can we go for a hike? You know, there's mountains around here. So my, my idiocy, what I do is I take him up this relentless hike. <laughs> it's like two miles straight up, <laughs> right? And we even say it's relentless because it's so, it's so upright that you think it's never ending. And when you think you must be getting the ne- nearer to the end, it, it goes further up. <laughs> this poor guy, man. I'm like, it's relentless, but just keep doing it. Don't stop. And now I'm about to kill him because I'm only thinking of myself and not him. I didn't really know the Lord that good then. He, he had to stop along halfway. But the point is, it's relentless. This hike that I took him on, the pain that is, is relentless. The verticalness of it is relentless. And God, the burning he has in his bones for you to have life. It's relentless. It's a consuming fire. So this is the knowledge of sin. The knowledge of sin is the revelation that through mankind's fornication with their works. That's what fornication is. It's you being intimate with the strength in your own hand to try to bear fruit. That's what fornication is. You're being intimate with your own work to try to produce the fruit of God's life. And so the knowledge of sin is the revelation that through mankind's fornication with their works, their works were serving them with death and their works were leaving them barren and unfruitful in God's life. And their works were leaving them in the place where they were all the time bearing fruit unto death. They were all the time impregnated with the seed of death and were therefore bearing the fruit of death. God comes and shows us what sin is and what sin is doing to us through the law so that our boast is no longer in the strength of the flesh, but our boast is in Him and the strength in His hand instead. As it is written in several places, as Paul says, let all those who boast make their boast in the Lord. I mean, when you're fornicating with the strength in your own hand, that means your boast is in the works of your own hands. Otherwise, your intimacy wouldn't be with the strength of your hand. Your intimacy would be with the, in the strength of God's hand if your boast was in Him and His grace. Right? Does that make sense, the knowledge of sin? Do you see what the knowledge of sin is? You see how that's completely different than the knowledge of you're a worm? Do you see the difference? God's not trying to convince you you're a worm. Just because you can't produce life yourself, that doesn't make you a worm. That's what the carnal mind thinks. See, the carnal mind judges man by their inability to produce life. And so they look at man and say, well, man can't produce life. And every time man tries to do something good, they can't do good. All they do is bad. Therefore, they must be a despicable, disgusting worm. But God never created man to be able to produce life. So how can it be a negative word about us that we can't produce life? How can it mean that we're a worm if we can't produce life when we were never created with the ability to produce life? We were created to have someone else clothe us with life. Mm -mm -mm. Paul says the law works wrath. In verse 4, you guys realize, you guys notice that when we read the law works wrath, or that when we hear the law works wrath, immediately we see it as something negative. Immediately. I'll probably have to preach this for 10 years before we no longer see it as something negative. And this, this is probably going to cause you cognitive dissonance. But the, the moment we read the law works wrath, we see it as something negative, as if it's talking about God being against us. That's the first thing we think when we read that. We think it's a sign that God's against us. But really, what it means that the law works wrath is that the law works God's everlasting kindness to gather us to himself. Why would God reveal to you that trusting in your own works for life is killing you unless he wanted you to no longer look to your own works for life and instead look to his work? I promise you the reason he's doing that is because he's filled with kindness towards you. And he's trying to gather you to himself. 
Because he knows that he has the gift of eternal life in his hand. He knows there's a reward in his hand for you. He knows that the only thing he has in his hand to give sinners is an incorruptible life. And if he can just get you into his presence, if he can just get you to see that his heart is filled with everlasting kindness towards you, he knows that's drawing you to himself, and that's when he can clothe you. So whereas we were filled with fear at the thought of standing in the presence of God, and we were cowering away from him unto destruction, Because our minds were filled with the deadness in our flesh. And our minds were filled with the strength of our flesh. The strength we saw in our flesh. Whereas we were dwelling there. The law is part of God's everlasting kindness to gather us to himself so he can serve us with life. By the time I'm done with preaching, which will probably be, should I die somewhere? If there be anybody around, I'll be preaching. If there be nobody around and I'm by myself, I know God will be there. And you know what will come out of my mouth? I have one God, the Lord, my God. Abba, into your hands I commit my life. But by the time God is done with you, as it concerns wrath, you'll begin seeing it as everlasting kindness. You won't be seeing it as anger. You know one of the meanings of wrath? We're going to run through some of the meanings of wrath. This is not, this meaning of the word wrath is from the, the Greek word and the Hebrew word. It, it's strong desire or violent passion or zeal. Strong desire or violent passion or zeal. It can also mean abhorrence or to abhor something. It comes from the Greek root that means to stretch oneself, that is reach out after, long for, covet after, to stretch oneself out in order to touch or to grasp something, to reach after or desire something. You guys want me to say that again? I don't, you, you can't make this stuff up. Go look it up. This is wrath. This is one of the meanings of wrath. Strong desire or violent passion or zeal. It can also mean abhorrence or to abhor something. It comes from the Greek root that means to stretch oneself. That is, reach out after, long for, covet after, desire to stretch oneself out in order to touch or to grasp something, to reach after or desire something. What is God passionate about? I just talked about the burning in my bones. He's passionate about us. But even before he begins with us, what is he passionate about? Life. I mean, what did Jesus say? It's the thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But when I am come, I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. The entire Gospel of John is about Jesus coming as everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. And there he is as Mighty God telling these people, the burning in my bones isn't to condemn you. The burning in my bones is to justify you with life. It's the thief that's killing you. It's the thief's way of having life that's killing you. It's the thief that's told you you can be exalted by enlisting your ability to gather life to yourself. That's the way that's stealing from you, killing you, and destroying you. When I'm come, there's a burning in my bones for you to live and never die. And so when I come, I've come to give you an abundant life. When he says that, that's the wrath of the Lord. He's stretching himself forth. To grasp after, longing, desiring mankind to have life. So God's passionate about life. And because he is life, guess what? That passion that he has for life because he is life, it is not passive. It is not like, well, you know, we'd like to see some life, but if it doesn't happen, what are you going to do? God's not like walking around looking at death and thinking it is what it is. (laughs) Well, I mean, seriously, these are some of the silly things we say to ourselves, right? I mean, me, I didn't even realize I was talking to myself until Becky told me. But she said sometimes when things would go wrong, 
when we were first starting the church. They stole the air conditioners off the roof. She said right around that time, she don't know if it was PTSD that was coming to me at first, but she said right around that time, she'd hear me walking around in the house talking to myself saying, what are you going to do, you know? <laughs> and I didn't even know I was doing that. What are you going to do, you know? God's not walking around thinking, what are you going to do, you know? That's, that's, not, that's not passion. That's not zeal. That's not stretching oneself forth. That's not longing after, to grasp, to attain. And so God's passionate. He is life, so he's got a violent passion for life. And because he made us for life, he's passionate about mankind having his life. He's got a burning in his bones for you to have his life and for you to have it abundantly. And he is relentless in that burning. He will not repent from that burning in his bones for you to have life. And so one of the meanings of wrath was abhor and abhorrence. You see, the carnal mind will come and tell you that God abhors people. It'll come and tell you abomination. They're an abomination to God. And they know it's not what they say. And they build their doctrines not knowing God. Do you know what a God abhors? Death. He abhors that which produces death in people, and he abhors death. If we want to know what an abomination to God looks like, it's death. Death in that which produces death in people is an abomination to God. It's an abomination to God that we were dying. You know, these things are actually all in the scriptures. It says God is holy. And we interpret that to mean that God will judge people and kill them. You know what the word holy means? To be sanctified. You know what sanctified means? To be set apart unto something. Well, when Jesus said, I'm come that you might have life and have it more abundantly, what is he saying to you? I'm holy. I'm set apart unto you having life and you having life more abundantly. I'm not the thief that steals, kills, and destroys. James would come and say that only good and perfect gifts come down from the Father of lights in heaven, in whom there is no variableness or shadow of turning. John would come and say that there is no darkness in God. There is no fear in God. That's how you define holy. There is nothing in God outside of his desire to produce life. He set apart unto life. That's why when he manifested himself in Genesis, when the earth was filled with darkness and chaos, and he said, let there be light, that light removed the darkness and the chaos. He was set apart unto there being life, and he was set apart unto removing the darkness. That's what it means that he's holy. He set apart unto you having his life. Everything he does is for the purpose of bringing forth life. He cannot function outside of stretching himself forth to produce life. He set apart unto serving you with his life. That's what it means that he's holy. Sin is set apart unto serving you with death. God and sin are not the equivalent. There's no equal sign between God and sin. If it's an algebra equation, God does not equal sin, and sin does not equal God. And so sin is set apart unto you having death. Satan is set apart unto serving you with death. That's why it says he was a murderer from the beginning. God is holy, meaning that he's sanctified from sin and death. There is no uncleanness in him. He hasn't been defiled by sin, so he's not, he's not busy serving with death. He's set apart unto life. He's set apart unto the spirit of faith, which means he can only ever bring forth life. Oh, it's still there. Glory to God. <laughs> You guys following? So, the wrath of God. It's his passionate reach for life. It's his passionate reach for mankind to have his life. When Paul says the law works wrath, he's saying the law reveals from heaven God's passionate reach for mankind to have life. When Paul says the law works wrath, he's saying the law reveals from heaven God's passionate reach for mankind to have life. The law works God's passion for man to have his life. 
the way it works, God's passion for man to have his life, is it testifies to man that worshiping the works of our own hands cannot clothe us in life. That's how it works it. It comes and shows us the thing that's killing us. As Moses says, so that our fear would no longer be before that thing, but our fear or our trust would be before him. Even if, you, even if you look at the wrath of a man, and you guys know my favorite example of the wrath of a man, right? I mean, my dad worked for NASA. And so we watched all the space shows, and we watched Star Trek. So immediately when I think of the wrath of a man, I think of the wrath of Khan. <laughs> right? I'm well-versed with the, the wrath of Khan from Star Trek. Even the wrath of a man. It gets perverted because of sin, but the wrath of a man... The wrath of Khan, it was born from his passion for life. Everything that came out of him started with a zeal for life, a zeal for his life and the life of his people. Go watch the movie. The problem is the wrath of a man cannot work the righteousness of God. That's the problem. That's a verse in James. The wrath of a man is born from self-justification. And so it starts with a zeal for life, a passion for life, but because it's born from them looking to the strength in their own hands to grasp after life themselves, to lust after life themselves, what happens is the wrath of a man results in them trying to exalt themselves above others. We talked about it earlier today in the Bible study. Putin, we, we got this big war going on. That's the wrath of a man. But I'm telling you guys, the beginning of what Putin is after is he's got a zeal for life. He's got a zeal for Russia. And he thinks that the life he longs for, the zeal he has for life, is found in taking the Ukraine. You see how his passion for life, because he's not looking to the, the, the strength in God's hand to serve him with the life he's passionate for, he's looking to the strength of his own hand. You see how that's resulting in him trying to exalt himself above others? The zeal of a man to work life results in them taking the life of others so they can have life for themselves. But I promise you, it begins with the zeal for life. Cain, the wrath of a man. Cain, what did he begin with? A zeal for life. A passion for life. But because he tried to satisfy his passion for life through his own strength, the result was not everlasting kindness. <laughs> you see the difference? Isaiah 54. Thank you guys so much for letting me say this. If it doesn't bless you, it blesses me. Isaiah 54. Do you know how it describes God's wrath? It describes, describes God's wrath this way, as his face being hidden for a moment. In a little wrath, I hid my face from you for a small moment. You know, if you read that verse in its context, you know what the second part of that verse says? It goes on to say that God's face being hidden for a moment was part of his everlasting kindness towards mankind. Well, how's that? So combining those two things with what Paul said, when Paul says the law works wrath, He's saying the law revealed God's face was hidden for a moment. When he says the law works wrath, and you look at Isaiah saying wrath is for God's face to be hidden for a moment. When Paul says the law works wrath, what he's saying is the law revealed God's face was hidden for a moment. Now, how did the law reveal God's face was hidden for a moment? How does it do that? And what's the purpose of that? What is the purpose of that kind of a thing? You know, the law wasn't a standalone thing. It didn't just stand on its own. There was an earthly tabernacle God had Moses built that went along with the law. There was, a build, there was the building of an earthly tabernacle that directly coincided with the giving of the tablets of testimony. They were together. And the earthly tabernacle worked together with the law to reveal the wrath of God. 
They worked together, the tabernacle and the tablets of testimony. They were one thing working together to reveal the wrath of God from heaven. You can even say it this way, and it will mess up your theology of what you think about wrath. You can even say that the temple worketh wrath. How does the temple get it right to work some wrath? Especially with our cognitive dissonance. Temple can't get it right to work wrath if, it, if wrath is about anger. What's it about? What's going on there? You know, guys, if you look at the earthly tabernacle God had Moses build, the interesting thing about that earthly tabernacle, that temple, you know what the interesting thing about it is? God's face was hidden behind a veil. God's face was hidden behind a veil in that temple. You had the holy, of holy, the, holy, the holy place, and then you had the veil. And then you had the holiest place. God's face behind the veil was the presence of God. Behind that veil. That's the face of God. To be in the holiest place is to be described as standing face to face with God. It means you're looking God right in the face. That's where Moses went to meet with God. It was behind the veil. And so the Holy of Holies was hidden behind the veil. And so God's face was also hidden behind the veil. God's face was hidden behind the veil. And you know what? God was still there with the people. And so it did, God's face being hidden wasn't a sign that he abandoned the people. It wasn't a sign that he forsook the people because he was still there tabernacling with them. He was still there courting them. He was still there ministering to them. He was there working, trying to gather them to himself through this temple and through this law. He was working his everlasting kindness towards mankind to serve them with his life. His face wasn't hidden out of anger. His face wasn't hidden because he abandoned them. His face was hidden because it was part of his everlasting kindness towards mankind. God's face being hidden behind the veil works wrath. I'm going to keep saying these phrases, guys. God's face being hidden behind the veil works wrath. Why was God's face hidden? And what is it working? Why is God's face hidden behind the veil? And what is it trying to signify to us? Because he's trying to tell us something. What is he trying to tell us? What is he trying to teach us? You know chapter 9 in the letter of the Hebrews? You guys know that chapter? You know it talks about the earthly tabernacle and the veil in chapter 9? Do you know what it says about the veil and God's face being hidden behind the veil? This is what it says. It says that the Holy Spirit was signifying that the way into the holiest place was not yet made manifest. So the Holy Spirit tells us the reason God's face was hidden behind the veil wasn't out of him being angry with us, wasn't out of him abandoning us, but that God was trying to signify to us that the way into the holiest place was not yet made manifest. And do you know what the Holy Ghost was trying to make evident to mankind through God's face being hidden behind the veil? You know what he was trying to make evident to us? That God found fault with mankind laboring to clothe themselves with the blessing of life. That's the way that mankind thought was the power to go into the holiest place, was by us clothing upon ourselves with life. Well, the Holy Spirit hid God's face behind the veil to demonstrate to us that the way we thought unto life was not the way into the holiest place. The reason God found fault with mankind laboring to clothe themselves is because it left us naked, dead in our sin, with a conscience stained with the body of death and a heart filled with fear. The veil in the temple hid God's face because the Holy Spirit was signifying that the way mankind thought was unto life could never bring them to God that we might inherit life. I know you guys think this is the way to inherit life, but it's not the way to inherit life, and it will never cause you to inherit life. And so the Holy Spirit has a temple made, and in that temple, God's face is hidden behind a veil to tell man the way they think that will cause them to inherit life is not the way. It's not the way. That's how the law works wrath. It works wrath 
Because God's face is hidden behind a veil. And in God's face being hidden behind the veil, what that, that works is it shows us that the belief that we can be decorated with the fruit of God's life by the works of our own hands, that belief is transgression. That belief is sin. That's the knowledge of sin. His face is hidden behind the veil to teach us the law of sin and death, to give us the knowledge of what sin is and what it's doing to us and how it's keeping us from standing face to face with him and how it's keeping us from coming to him that we might be clothed with life. That's why the face is hidden behind the veil. That's the wrath that the law works. You know, we have a funny saying where we say, turn our back on something, right? What does it mean when we turn our back on something? We don't approve of it. I know there's like politicians that travel around the world, and there was a politician that I think went to some police precinct, precinct somewhere. I think in the last few years, I don't know who it was. It doesn't really matter who or where it was, but when they got there, all the officers turned their backs on him. You know what they were signifying when they turned their back on him? That they don't approve. So mankind was busy thinking the way to inherit life was by laboring to clothe ourselves with life. God hid his face from that to show us he doesn't approve of that way. Why doesn't he approve of that way? Because that way is killing us. And he's got a passion for life. He's got a zeal for us to have life. And so he could never approve of that way. His face could never shine down upon that way. But that's the way we thought was unto life. And so he gives the law and he has Moses build this temple so that he could teach man that that's not the way. And that's the wrath of God being revealed from heaven. It's God showing us that lusting after life through the works of your own hands will never cause you to inherit life. That's the knowledge of sin. So there God is. My man's chilling. He's looking at himself. I am life. And this life is like, man. And he's like wanting to reward us. He's got a reward in his hand to give us. And what he's wanting is he's wanting for us to come to him. That he might give us the eternal life that he has in his hand to give us. But we weren't coming to him. Because we were like Adam in the garden cowering away from him in fear unto destruction, not seeing that it was God's good pleasure to clothe upon us with life, thinking that we had to clothe upon ourselves with life before we could come to God. God saw that was keeping us from inheriting life. And so God's not stupid. He's like a master tactician and a master surgeon. He discerns all things. So he didn't look at what we were doing and try to make conclusions about it. He looked straight into our heart. He's like, the reason these dudes ain't coming is because their minds are filled with the deadness of their flesh. Their conscience is stained with sin and death. They're living by the sweat of their brow as if that's the way unto have life, as if the way unto life is through the strength of the flesh. He saw we were fornicating with the works of our own hands and that was causing our intimacy to be with death instead of with him and his eternal life. That's where he saw us sitting around. But he's jealous over our lives with a godly jealousy. He could never be happy with us worshiping the works of his own, our own hands. The reason he could never be happy with us is because it left us barren and unfruitful in his life. He sees us there naked and dead in sin. His face could never shine upon that which was killing us. He could never bless our union to death. He could never speak well of us dying. It was an abomination to him that we were dying. He abhorred our death. So in his wrath, in his passionate reach towards us, in his zeal for us to have his life and have it more abundantly, he hid his face for a moment. He hid his face for a moment to signify to us that we could never bear the fruit of his life by fornicating with the works of our own hands. He hid his face for a moment to reveal that that way was serving us with death. He hid his face behind the veil in the temple for a moment to reveal the law of sin and death to us, to teach us that lusting after the fruit of his life in his life through the strength of the flesh was serving us with death. And he did all that to gather us to himself so that he could serve us with life. He did all that so that our faith would be before him or towards him and not our own works. 
That's why he did it. Right? Ronnie, you a father. You got some teenage daughters. Imagine your daughter come home with a serial killer and tell you she wants to be married to him. And she wants you, she wants your face to shine upon. She wants you to speak well of that union. She wants you to bless it. I can only imagine that you're going to hide your face from that. You're going to turn your back on that. You're going to abhor that. But that abhorrence isn't going to be you rejecting her or forsaking her or being angry with her. That abhorrence is going to be your wrath. It's going to be your zeal. It's going to be your passion for her to have life. It's going to be you stretching forth your hand to grasp after her life, to protect her life from that which you see will work destruction in her. That's God's face being hidden. We were married to a serial killer. It's called death. He murdered billions of people. We came home. We came to God with our marriage to death. And we're like, bless it, daddy. Isn't it good? We were like Cain coming to God with the fruit we could produce through our own works, wanting that to justify us. God saw that way would kill us. And he hid his face from it. He refused to bless it. He wouldn't shine his face upon it because it would kill us. And so he hid his face from that which we brought him because he was filled with everlasting kindness towards us. Because he wanted us to come to him for life. You guys see that? You know what I'm talking about. And we use in ancient descriptions. I imagine you might you know, want to lay hands on the guy and maybe not to pray for him. You pray for him after you, you deliver a wound, <laughs> right? <laughs> because think about what comes alive inside of you when you think about something harming her. Think about what comes alive inside of you when you think about someone harming that which is flesh of your flesh and bone of your bone. When you think about something working death in the one that you love, the one that you see yourself in. I'm gonna, you're going to have a zeal. A holy fervor. Your face is going to... So the law worked wrath. The wrath of God was revealed from heaven through the giving of the law. The way it worked wrath from heaven is it gave us knowledge of the transgression. The transgression. Adam. It gave us knowledge of what transgression is. It showed us we were barren because of our intimacy with our own works. Just as God's face was hidden from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden when he told Adam, don't eat from that tree, that's God's face being hidden from that tree. It's God refusing to bless that tree as the way unto life. The law showed us that God's face was hidden from the belief that we could be clothed upon with life by the works of our own hands. This is why Paul would come and say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He wasn't, ashamed of the, of, he wasn't ashamed to say that justification was found in Christ and Christ alone. The reason he wasn't ashamed of that is because God revealed from heaven to him the law of sin and death through the tablets of testimony, through the temple. That's why he wasn't ashamed to come and preach Jesus. Paul knew the law better than anyone. He knew the temple better than anyone. But he didn't see what the law was trying to reveal to him. But then he saw that the law come and showed him what sin is and what it does to you when you try to bring about that which is good through the strength in your own hand. So I promise you, I'm not ashamed to come and tell you that justification is found in Christ and Christ alone because I see God has told us clearly through the law, I see God has told us clearly through the temple that should we try to clothe upon ourselves with our own strength, that's going to leave us suffering with the fruit of death. That's why I'm not ashamed to tell you God has revealed that he's against that way because that way will kill you. The law worketh wrath. And hallelujah for that. Glory to God for that. Glory to God for his zeal. Glory to God that he hid his face from our union to death. Glory to God that he hid his face when we came and told him we wanted to have life by our own strength. Glory to God that he loved us more than what he thought of us thinking of him. He loved our lives more than his own. Glory to God. That same zeal, that same wrath, 
that same burning, it's in you right now. You think you want life. Get your eyes off of how much you think you want life and get your eyes on the God that's in you that has an unrelenting zeal and fervor to serve you with life. And get your eyes on that God that's inside of you. And what do you think that God that is passionate with a violent passion for life, what do you think that God is working in you right now? There's a fire burning in you right now. Do you see me? I'm on fire. The fire of life is burning in you now. And it's a zeal, it's a passion to consume everything that's against you. Everything that tries to hurt your heart. The wrath of God consumes what kills us. Life consumes death. Thank you guys so much. I know we ran long. Thank you for letting me get it out. You guys are awesome. Thank you, Father, for your love for us. Thank you that you're relentless in your pursuit to serve us with your life. Thank you, Father, that we can all have eyes to see you in us working life, that we have eyes to see you burning with life inside of us, you consuming everything that's full of corruption and decay, you separating darkness from us, you shining your light in us. Thank you, Father, that we are your workmanship and that it's your good pleasure to form within us and to bring forth out of us your life. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Glory to God. Give yourselves a hand. Thank you so much. You guys are awesome. Thank you guys for watching online. God bless everyone. Les bon temps roulés. Lazé.